The Spirits of Loana. When Alyssa was a young girl of twelve summers, she and her wild-haired younger brother Jortand were loaded into a carriage bound away from their ancestral manor at Tarnsburn. They were headed for the edge of the endless weald. It was midsummer, and a bad spell of circle cough had been going around the town. While generally harmless to adults, circle cough played havoc on smaller lungs, and while not often deadly, could leave a little one short of breath for years to come. So off they went, cozy in a coach, masterfully driven by young Sam Hark, a trusted knight herald sworn to the house Lannan, who always traveled in the company of his trusted redhound Cleifer. In the padded interior of their conveyance, the children spoke hushedly, postulating as to the nature of the mysterious place they were headed to, and the strange inhabitants they might meet. The country air will do you both good. "'Stay here and you'll end up coughing in circles,' their mother Luella had said. "'Your aunt and uncle are kind souls. "'They'll be glad to have you at their homestead for a spell. "'Tis a beautiful place, too. "'That old keep on the edge of the wildlands has been in our family for generations. "'You'll come to love the fort at Lowen as I did when I was your age.' "'So it was with this scant crumb of information they passed their time traveling, "'imagining what might wait for them at Lowen.' The ride to the old fort took five uneventful days, and the children enjoyed the sights and sounds of the land about them. Sam even let Cleifer ride in the carriage with them one afternoon, so long as they promised not to tell. Much to the delight of the children, the old hound fell into a blissful slumber, stretched out across them from one side of the coach to the other. Jort, too, surrendered to the warmth of the afternoon sun and joined Cleifer in his nap, nestled in the dog's profuse auburn hair. One night, after they had made camp, they sat around a small fire, eating a simple supper of traveler's stew and biscuits. "'Have you ever been to Lowen, Sam?' asked Jort through a mouthful of crumbs. "'Aye. I camped out near the fort one night as I was making my way back to Tarnsburn, after my training with the Kestrels at Kemp Citadel.' The woods there are old, full of ancient magic and forced spirits. Both the children were fascinated by his description and had stopped chewing, drawn in by the promise of magic and spirits. Sam gazed off for a moment as if searching for the threads of a dream now forgotten. I saw not who they were, but I knew that strange folk were near. He said no more, though it was clear to the children there remained a chapter unspoken. This only served to fuel the fires of their conjecture, and many wild theories were proposed in the remaining days of their travels. Jort was certain their aunt and uncle were under the spell of some deep forest fae spirit, and given the chance, would offer the children as sacrifices to the gods of the wood. Alyssa allowed that this was a possibility, but suggested they try not to make too many assumptions. They soon arrived in Lowen and bid farewell to Sam and Cleifer. Serbeth and Tom were as kindly as their mother had promised, and having no children of their own, set to spoiling Alyssa and Jort as thoroughly as possible. Any suspicions the children had cultivated over the course of their journey were quickly dispelled by spiced honey cakes, fresh sweet grapes still sun-warm from the vine, and refreshing lemon cordial left long to cool in the cellars. The old keep was indeed a marvelous place, mysterious yet comfortable. Although it had begun its existence as a formidable fortress, its military trappings had faded with each subsequent generation. The children found it a cozy place with countless stairways, passages, and nooks to explore. Over the years, Fort Lowen had fallen into disrepair, and Sarah Beth and Tom, seeing the opportunity, had taken it as their lives' work to convert the grounds into a thriving farmstead. They had in their employ a handful of farmers and gardeners who helped in cultivating produce and farm goods, which they sold and traded throughout the area. Such farms were relatively rare in the green country, so they turned a healthy trade. Walking out past the edge of the vegetable gardens, one came to the remnants of an earlier original fort. Moldering archways ringed with moss and tumbled walls of stone soon became Alyssa and Jort's favored place of play. 
Tom had told them one evening over supper how the ancestors of the Lannan family built their first stronghold here in times that lay beyond the reaches of history. It had been called Loana, and it was where the more recent Fort Lowen had gotten its name. The light there seemed different somehow. Sounds were muted, and the surroundings were ever bathed in the softest, faintest velveteen glow. In this gentle sanctuary, Alyssa would sit on the old stones, weaving for herself dainty crowns from slender blue-tipped flowers she had gathered. Jort entertained himself by leaping from stone to stone, brandishing a fierce stick, ready to smite any beast that might waylay them. Time spent in this place was a reverie, a private world for them to enjoy. Each time they returned to the ruins, a new discovery awaited them. A little plum tree festooned with dark ripe fruit. A lichen-encrusted section of wall that bore a weathered carving of an ancient warrior lord. Or a strange purple toad, whose croak sounded more like an old man sneezing. And yet there was something odd about the place. Entering the domain, it often felt that someone had just left before their arrival. One particular afternoon they sat playing game after game of chantillions, which Alyssa kept winning. Jort, out of frustration and stubbornness, insisted they play until he had finally beaten her. She obliged, and they played until the summer sun dwindled on the horizon, painting the sky a dreamy red-orange. At last, Jort threw down a winning hand of cards, blurting out, Chantillion! triumphantly. Alyssa smiled courteously, conceding his victory, well aware that she had let him win. A familiar rustic bell rang out from the direction of the keep, no doubt Sarabeth calling them home to enjoy a scrumptious meal. Alyssa collected the cards, scooping them up from the old flagstones where they lay. Looking up, she regarded the ruins, now dark. Night and day make two worlds of a single place, and the arches and pathways with which they had become well acquainted now appeared strange and unfamiliar. Night insects hummed, and the stars were beginning to shine in the sky, a fine, scattered dust of glimmering lights. She reached out for Jort's hand instinctively and was about to lead them in the direction of the warm, distant lights of the keep when Jort spoke in a small, quiet voice. Look, Ellie. He gestured towards a far pair of pillars that seemed to mark the place of an entrance long fallen. She peered into the blueness of the night and could not see anything at first. Then, two glowing shapes materialized in the distance, one high and one low. It was hard to see what they were, but they moved towards the children, slowly but with purpose. She squeezed Jort's hand tight and felt the urge to race away from the place, but a strange curiosity held her fixed there. Soon she was able to make out the shapes of two small folk, both luminous and green in their appearance, exuding a glow not unlike that of a firebug, yellow-green in color. One flew on lacy wings, limbs long and slender, her face slim and beautiful, though alien in its aspect. The other traveled low to the ground, taking far strides, which seemed impossible for its diminutive frame. His face was clever and peaceful, and he seemed at once both youthful and ancient. It struck Alyssa that she must be looking at several fey-sylph folk, though they looked like no fey she had ever before met. For one, these folk wore no clothes, and they spoke not, quite unlike the other fey-sylph she had encountered in her then short life, who seemed to enjoy their finery to a degree only second to their love of good conversation. Perhaps, she thought, they are wild fey, peoples of the lost house, those folk as old as the wood itself. She felt Jort's hand squeeze hers more tightly as the two beings drew closer to them. A cool night breeze cascaded through the treetops, and a silvery rustling filled their ears. The glowing strangers had stopped perhaps twenty paces away from them, and seemed to now direct their attention to their surroundings. The one who floated on gauzy, ethereal wings outstretched her thin arms, hands open wide. Then, curling all but one nameless finger on each hand, she pointed and began to trace a flowing design in the night air. Where her tiny fingers moved, the atmosphere guttered and sparked with a shimmering line of warm light which hung there, suspended in space. 
As the moments passed, a beautiful design began to emerge. The lower earthbound spirit outstretched wiry, luminous arms and proceeded to do the same. Moving together, their radiant filigree grew, etching the air with symbols whose meaning could only be guessed at. This bewitching dance was interrupted by the second chiming of the dinner bell, and the children turned to look in the direction of Lowen Hall. The fey folk had ceased their movements, and they too looked towards that place of warmth, light, and habitation. The children looked back towards the creatures, and Alyssa gave them a little curtsy, her best attempt at a show of respect, then began back towards the dwelling, Jort in hand. Jort managed a small wave goodbye to the creatures before being pulled along by his sister. Their minds were aglow with magic as they raced back to the fort. Neither spoke, each of them preoccupied with the ethereal wonders they had witnessed. Questions sprouted upon questions, and they scarcely realized they had reached their destination until they arrived at the front door. Alyssa took the handle of the old door, but before opening it, turned to Jort. Let this be our secret, Jort, for now at least. Jort nodded, his small face serious and understanding. Alyssa opened the door, and they were met with the amiable familiarity of the homey living space. Hearing them enter, Serbeth called out from the kitchen. There you are. I thought perhaps you'd floated off in some sky pirate's balloon. Go wash up and then sit right down. Supper is ready and I've made a wild root stew. The children quickly scrubbed their hands clean of the dirt of the day's adventures and were soon seated on a worn wooden bench at the fort's ancient dining table. In the excitement of their encounter, they had forgotten any hunger they had, and as Serbeth entered with steaming bowls of stew and a plate piled high with crumbly hot biscuits, it occurred to Alyssa and Jort just how ravenous they were. They ate quickly, in part due to their grand appetite, but also they knew that there was much they needed to discuss. Jort crammed a toasty biscuit into his mouth, and while he chewed, slathered sweet butter onto another. Alyssa demonstrated slightly more decorum, occasionally pausing between heaping spoons of stew to dab the broth from her chin with a napkin. Serbeth observed the spectacle, amused at the gusto with which they ate. Earlier that day, Tom had traveled to a nearby winery whose vines were afflicted by blight. His horticultural skills were renowned in the area, and he was often called upon by those nearby who worked the land. It brought in a little extra coin and did much to build favor towards the Lowen farmstead. Tonight, Serbeth was just pleased someone was around to appreciate her fine stew. Jort let out a satisfied belch and slid from the bench so that he stood leaning against it, one arm cradling his slightly swollen belly. He blinked his eyes sleepily and then began to doze right there, letting out an occasional snore. "'You children seem to have packed two days' worth of living into one,' said Serbeth, collecting the bowls from the table. "'Best be off to bed now. There will be plenty left to explore in the morning.' Alyssa helped clear the dishes, and the children said their goodnights to Serbeth, who gave them a little oil lantern to carry for light. They made their way to the small room where they slept, a cozy affair with low arched ceilings supported by several ancient curved wooden beams." Tom had told them how the room had been used as a pantry when the fort was in its military heyday. Jort said that this made sense because the room smelled to him like beans. In preparation for their arrival, Tom had fashioned two nest-like beds from halves of an immense wooden barrel that had sat unused in storage for many years. It was into these that the children now wearily climbed. Serbeth had stuffed their mattresses with fresh, soft hay, and they nestled under felt blankets made by a very old woman who sometimes came to the fort on market days to sell her handicrafts. Serbeth had said the old woman kept a small cohort of unusually large rabbits deep in the forest, who she combed and brushed periodically in order to collect their silky hair. Alyssa loved that her blanket came from a giant bunny, while Jort was curious as to whether the rabbits were large enough to ride. Warm under their coverings, the children fought valiantly against sleep, wanting so badly to finally speak about the strangers they had encountered earlier that day. It was a hopeless battle, and they could not help but succumb to the comforts of sleep.
As they drifted off, Jorts spoke dreamily. I really want to see them again, Alyssa. Alyssa yawned and replied, Me too, Jort. And then the room was silent, save for the sounds of small breathing and that noise that moonlight makes as it shines silvery into a room through one small circular window, a sound that only certain types of moon moths can hear. Morning found the children refreshed and excited for the possibilities of the day. Sleep had only compounded their anticipation of another meeting with the strange folk, but alas, Sarabeth enlisted them to help pick green peas, which were doing unusually well that year. With Tom still away, she could use the extra hands. Alyssa and Jort had hoped to head to the ruins straight after breakfast, so this was a major upset to their plans. Soon enough they rallied and set to picking peas with a fervor Sarabeth wished some of her hired workers possessed. They had finished their harvesting by noon, and Sarabeth was so impressed with their work, she rewarded them each with a large raisin cookie. Into a knapsack went the sweets, along with fruit and leftover biscuits from the previous night's supper, and off they went. On their walk to the ruins, they began to share their theories as to the nature of those creatures they had encountered. Jort suggested that the two they encountered were relatives of those ancient people who originally constructed the dwelling that had preceded Fort Lowen. Alyssa agreed this could be the case, but she thought perhaps they were wild forest spirits, curious about the old habitation. Neither of the children had any good guesses as to the spiraling magic lines the creatures had etched into the air itself. They soon arrived and set about thoroughly investigating the premises for any signs the creatures had left. After a good half hour of searching, neither had found any evidence anyone else had been there. They could find no traces of the bewitching magic they had witnessed the night previous. They reconvened on a large fallen column, which had become their favorite sitting spot. Jort rummaged through their satchel and produced some apples for them to eat. I don't understand, Jort, said Alyssa, crunching into her apple. Surely they would leave some kind of sign. Something must remain, right? Maybe they did leave something, but we can't see it, replied Jort sagely. Alyssa pondered this, and the two continued their lunch, chewing and contemplating in silence. Their main course finished, Jort drew out the two golden, buttery raisin cookies for them, and handed one to Alyssa. As Jort was about to take his first bite, Alyssa stopped him. Wait, Jort, what if we leave them a cookie? Jort clutched his treat protectively. If they're anything like us, they'll like Sarabeth's cookies. Jort considered this, but still hesitated to surrender his dessert. W what if an animal just eats it? I don't want to give my cookie to no ran or mouse. Alyssa thought for a moment, and then she took her own cookie and wrapped it tightly in a cloth napkin from their sack. She tied the ends together in a tight knot. If an animal were to burgle their treat, it would need to gnaw through the cloth first. We'll know it was them if the napkin is untied. Jort narrowed his eyes and nodded approvingly. Seems like a good plan. He broke his cookie in two and handed half to Alyssa. They would have to wait until the next day for results, so they spent the rest of the afternoon lazing about the ruins, playing hide-and-seek, and searching for treasures yet to be found. The sun sunk low in the sky, and that dusky pink haze suffused the horizon, promising the coming of night, deep and blue. They gathered their satchel, and Jort placed a large stone on top of the enrobed cookie, as a measure of added protection. Then they set out. They had traveled maybe fifty paces on the path which led back to the fort through the vegetable gardens when Alyssa stopped to look back. In the dwindling light she could see the faintest remnants of the illuminated tracery which yet remained. Jort turned to look too, and spying the glowing filigree, let out an odd, Ooh. Moments later, the dinner bell sounded out across the grounds, and the children made their way home, minds once more aflame with the possibilities that awaited them the next day. The night was cool, and the wooded hills that surrounded the fort were dark, and firebugs had begun to emerge to dance through the evening's silky wind. Soon they entered the living quarters and were greeted by Tom, just returned from his work at the winery.
For supper, they dined on the remainder of the wild root stew, which tasted somehow even better on this night, and Tom told them all about his work tending the grapevines. It seemed a variety of brassy beetle had taken to burrowing near the roots of the vines, and this was causing the blight. Tom had shown the winemaker how to concoct a pesticide from ash and the juice of several local plants. He would be going back in a month to see how things were doing. After supper, he took out his mandolin and played some soft tunes by the hearth. Most were folk songs the children recognized, Sparrow in the Bush, Old Falker's Hollow, and The Weeping Princess. Then he came to a slower song, one that was new to them. The lyrics he sang were in an old tongue, some kind of ancient elfin, for Alyssa and Jort could still make out occasional words and glean a general meaning. It was a beautiful song, telling of an enchanted castle hidden away by the folk of the lost house. The children lay on a thick woolly rug before the hearth, relaxing into this dreamy tale woven by Tom, enjoying the warmth of a small fire. The wind whistled outside, blowing strong and cool over the treetops. As they listened, a word touched their ears which surprised them with its familiarity. Loana. Lowen. Soon he finished the ballad and paused to take refreshment from a mug of sweet balm ale. "'What was that song, Tom?' asked Alyssa, still spellbound by its mysterious character. Tom smiled knowingly, clearly pleased by the question. "'That song is old, Alyssa, as old as Fort Lowen itself. No one knows who wrote it. It's just kind of lived here since the fort was built. The old groundskeeper of this place taught it to me when we first arrived. Wiles was his name, and he was very ancient, even for an elfin. Perhaps older than twenty-five hundred summers.' Tom paused and took a long draft of his ale. He told me he learned it as a young man from the folk who tended to the upkeep of this place many years ago. "'It's beautiful,' replied Alyssa. Their attention was drawn by a small snore, and they both looked to see Jort fast asleep on the rug, curled up like a small pup. "'I've kept you up late with my songs. Best you be off to bed now. There's a strange summer wind afoot tonight, but you'll stay cozy, no doubt.' With that, Tom gingerly lifted the sleeping Jort and walked with Alyssa to their room. Soon enough, Alyssa lay swaddled in warm blankets, listening to the sound of wind outside the small pantry window. As she drifted into slumber, Tom's song played through her mind, the melody a small, longing ache in her heart. A hidden castle of those folk of the lost house. As she surrendered to sleep, waves of dream lapped at her awareness and glimmers of the mythic fortress beckoned her onward. The children awoke to a dismal morning. Thick gray clouds hung low about Fort Lowen and the surrounding woods, and an unrelenting drizzle battered the old clay roof tiles of the dwelling. Tom and Sarabeth were in good cheer. Their gardens had been in need of a good rain, and there was plenty that needed tending to within the fort. Alyssa and Jort, however, were not pleased. Their continued plans to investigate the old ruins had been stymied, and worst of all, they would not be able to see if the cookie they had left had been received by their mysterious host. Jort anguished at the thought of the confection, laying there prone to the elements, waterlogged and mushy. So they moped around the kitchen all morning until Sarabeth had hurled a stale scone at them, declaring, "'Your foul mood is going to sour the milk. Out with the two of ye!' They had escaped to the chicken coop, which, though outdoors, was protected from the rain. Jort gnawed at the petrified scones sullenly, occasionally breaking off pieces to share with the curious hens. Alyssa sat next to him, singing what parts she could remember of Tom's song from the night before. Soon Tom found them, and seeing their idle and morose state, presented them with a proposal. The keep of the old fort was in desperate need of organizing, and Tom decided Jort and Alyssa would make good assistance in this endeavor. They agreed, having nothing better to do, and they were also somewhat curious to explore the stout, slanting tower, an area they had not yet set foot in. Tom led them into the fort, down several winding passages to a heavy arched oaken door. 
Cobwebs grew in the corners of the doorframe, and a thin layer of dust lay upon the dark iron ring which was the door's handle. Tom gave the ring a turn and pulled open the door, releasing a wave of cool, stale air. They climbed a winding stone stair which opened into the first floor of the keep. Light streamed in through a series of high windows set in a ring around the circular tower. The place was a menagerie of junk, varied and endlessly compelling. At the sight of this wonderful trove, the children forgot all about the disappointment which still rained down outside. What treasures awaited them in the depths of this tower? Tom regarded the contents of the keep with slightly less excitement, sighing as he faced a veritable avalanche of clutter that he had happily ignored for more than several years. They set to the significant task of sorting through the sundry items that filled the tower and deciding as to their fate. Some things were to be kept, others thrown away, and some could be sold. For their labors, Tom promised they could each keep one item they found, so long as he approved it. With treasures waiting to be claimed, the children got to work immediately. Jort, despite his tiny frame, managed to carry out crate after crate of old broken flower pots, rusted farm implements, and innumerable other such oddments. Alyssa was tasked with organizing the many books, records, and letters of correspondence left not only by Tom and Sarabeth, but also the fort's previous inhabitants. Tom started out by sorting through a large box, which held a variety of glass jars containing all manner of seeds. So it was like this the three passed their gloomy afternoon. As the day drew on, the scanty light which crept in through those high windows shone dimmer. Tom decided that they should call it a day, and then asked the children if they had found something over the course of their work that they wanted to keep. Jort produced a small brass spade, clearly quite old, and adorned with an archaic flower pattern. Tom nodded approvingly, and next Alyssa shared her find. It was a quill pen, made to dip into a well of ink. This, too, had a thoroughly antiquated look, though its wood shaft was beautifully carved with a pattern of winding vines, and there was no tarnishing on its ornate metal nib. Tom once again nodded, admiring Alyssa's good taste, and they trundled down the steps of the keep to return to the homey warmth of the familiar living space. The smell of something delicious baking greeted their nostrils upon their return, and Tom suggested they wash up in preparation for dinner. Tonight their supper was to be a large pie of eggs and garden vegetables, with plenty of the peas they had harvested. After dinner, Tom rummaged through his desk and found a vial of ink and some scraps of parchment, which he gave to Alyssa. So you can use your new pen. Alyssa was thoroughly delighted. Though it still drizzled outside, Sarabeth was confident the gale would have passed them by sunup. Her predictions were indeed correct. The next morning was clear and sunny, and the day lay wide open before Jort and Alyssa. They left for the ruins directly after breakfast, setting out through the gardens, which shimmered with the lushness of the previous day's rains. The first matter of business was to inspect the cookie they had left as an offering. The rock was still set atop the napkin, so Jort removed it for further investigation. The little colored cloth was still tied, but no cookie remained. Alyssa gingerly undid the knot, feeling something small and heavy inside the cloth. As she opened it, an item dropped, glimmering in the morning light, to clink on the cobbles. Jort fell to the ground to locate the earthbound item, and moments later held aloft a small, tarnished, ancient-looking coin. His mouth hung open in amazement, and Alyssa too was utterly speechless. The little coin held the worn image of an owl on one side, and on the other the profile of an antiquated-looking elfin man who wore the helm of a warrior. This decides it, proclaimed Alyssa. We're coming back tonight. Jort's tininess could no longer contain the torrent of excitement which had been loosed, and he raced in circles through the ruins, leaping, pumping his fists in the air, and calling out. Alyssa's mind was already hard at work. They needed to find some way to communicate with the strange folk. She dug through their satchel and produced her newfound treasure, the ink pen along with the ink and the parchment Tom had given her. She lay down, belly to the flagstones, and began to draw. 
After several more rounds of his spirited calisthenics, Jort had worn himself out and came to sit down next to Alyssa, who was absorbed in her sketching. "'What are you drawing, Ellie?' he asked, craning over to try and get a glimpse. "'I'm almost done. Just give me a minute.' Jort complied and resisted the urge to pester her. This was serious business, after all. Instead, he procured his own treasure from their daybag, the little spade, and began to look for something he could dig up. He was about halfway through excavating an interesting-looking carved stone when Alyssa called out to him. "'It's done, Jort!' He raced over to see the fruits of her laborious scratchings. She proudly held up a drawing, ink-stained fingers clutching the parchment. The picture had its share of ink blots and smears, but the imagery was clear. There he and Alyssa were in the ruins, the moon high above in the sky. And across from them, she had drawn, with surprising accuracy, the two beings they had encountered. "'It's brilliant, Ellie,' said Jort, clearly impressed, but then added, "'I'm not that much shorter than you.' The drawing was folded daintily and placed in the same spot they had left their generous cookie offering. A hefty rock was set atop the parchment to keep it from blowing away in the wind. They were confident their communication would be received. The afternoon passed uneventfully and the children headed back to the fort before the dinner bell even called. Over supper they showed the coin they had found to Sarabeth and Tom, who were genuinely impressed. "'What a treasure you found here,' said Sarabeth, holding the coin close as she inspected it. "'Not a speck of rust on it. "'I'd wager this coin was made with some quantity of sun silver. "'That's why it's always a little warm to the touch.' "'She passed the coin to Tom for his appraisal. "'Very old, too. "'It likely belonged to someone who lived in the old castle. "'Keep it somewhere safe. "'This is quite a prize, ye lucky elflings.' The children were on their best behavior that night, helping with the dishes, wiping down the table, and even running out kitchen scraps to the compost pile. Their efforts to allay any suspicion as to their nocturnal plans nearly backfired. They were never this good. Luckily, Jort let loose a particularly lengthy, rattling belch, which reaffirmed they were still at least somewhat uncouth. "'Ye gods, Jort!' sputtered Tom, wheeling around in his chair by the fire, spilling a drop of his ale as he started. "'How can such a tiny person make such a sound? "'Off to bed with you before you shake the shingles loose from the roof!' "'Sorry. Good night!' shouted Jort as Alyssa ushered him down the passageway to their sleeping chambers. He was more than a little proud of the volume of that last burp. In the dark of the little room, they sat on their beds, discussing in a hushed whisper the best route into the gardens. There were a number of entrances to the fort-turned-farmhouse, but Jort and Alyssa agreed the back entrance, which exited near the chicken coop, was the safest route. They would not pass by their aunt and uncle's chambers as they moved through the house, though they would need to move past it once outside. Every so often, Jort would climb stealthily from his bed to place his ear against the heavy door to their room listening to discern whether their relatives were yet wakeful. The little circular window in their room was opened, and a gentle, cool night wind blew in through it. Alyssa stood and peered through the window, hoping to find the moon, but it had not yet climbed above the treetops. With their route of escape in place, they now faced but one enemy, sleep. Tom and Sarabeth kept irregular hours. Such was life on a wilding grange such as this so they needed to bide their time. It was decided they would take shifts slumbering, with Alyssa standing vigil first. Jort was nearly snoring by the time his head hit the pillow, so Alyssa sat in her bed and waited impatiently for the moon to make its slow transit through the starlit sky. In a hum barely audible, she sang to herself the ancient melody Tom had shared with them. Between her fingers, she turned the wondrous coin they had been gifted turned it end over end, feeling it warm and heavy in her hand. Her eyelids fluttered with drowsiness, and she blinked furiously to push the sleep away. She gave her arm a couple of sharp pinches to wake herself up, and steeled her sense of determination. She would not surrender. She awoke to Jort, pinching her nose closed. He grinned in the blue twilight, his eyes smiling. 
Wake up, bug brain, he whispered, shouted in her ear. She jolted upright, quickly glanced out the window, and was relieved to see the moon still high in the sky. They still had time. How did you manage to wake up? she asked Jort, her thankfulness apparent. I've got to pee like crazy. I drank about five glasses of water before bed. Why do you think I was burping so much? Alyssa was surprised by this stroke of ingenuity. Jort's tiny hand grasped hers with urgency. Let's go, Ellie. They eased the door open, ever slowly. Its aged hinges voiced scant protest, and soon they were creeping along the edge of the hallway. Judging from the moon's current station, the time was well past midnight. Sarabeth and Tom would likely be deep in slumber by now. The flagstones were cool on their bare feet, and they moved like silent mice in the dusky quiet of the night. Soon enough, they came to their place of egress, the back door. This door, they knew, would not be as compliant as the last. It saw heavy traffic and rough use on a daily basis, and it had a habit of voicing its protests in the form of a long and pronounced squeak. Jort lifted the latch and gave the door a push, but almost immediately it began to squeal in complaint. The two stood confounded for a moment, wondering how they might surmount this obstacle. Jort's eyebrows lifted as an idea suddenly dawned on him. He pointed to the disused portal to the right of the door, which lay barricaded. Tom had simply called this the chicken door, namely because it opened into the chicken coop. In times of inclement and frigid weather, they would open this passage and usher in the nippy fowl to prevent them from perishing in the cold. How their aunt and uncle managed to contain the flock once they had entered the walls of Lowen was beyond the children. At present, they were only concerned with the viable exit the chicken door provided. They hefted a small barrel, moved some cobwebby brooms, shuffled an old pair of boots, and the route was clear. Jort clambered through first, unlatching the wooden panel which served as a small door. He stepped through into the chicken coop and found himself amid a mass of dozing birds. Alyssa wormed her way through the small opening with slightly less grace and then replaced the panel. Now to exit the chicken coop. Most of the birds paid little heed to the children, being accustomed to the comings and goings of humans, but some roused in their presence, clucking and cooing testily. If the chickens were to awake and begin their usual cacophony, the children's mission would be forfeit. Without warning, Jort's composure changed, and he began to cluck sleepily, and slowly began to move in the direction of the coop's outer door. Alyssa caught on, and she too began the pantomime of a weary chicken. Things seemed to settle down, and they exited the coop without incident. Nearly there. Now they crept low, approaching their passage by Sarabeth and Tom's room. Even before they were upon it, they could hear Sarabeth's rhythmic snoring, filtering out through their open window. Had Tom been awake, he would be reading by the light of an oil lamp. Quickly, Jort and Alyssa scampered by, little feet lighting on damp, cool soil. Then through the gate, twined with ivy and pumpkin vines, and on to the garden path, which would lead them to the old ruins. The night felt a grandiose mystery. The sky spilled out above them, deep and dark and blue, and the stars were uncountable in their number. Green shadows curled about everywhere, casting strange shapes onto the path, dark semblances of their daytime counterparts. Down the path they raced, their eyes bright and hungry, their hearts beating hard with excitement. A high wind blew, slow and steady, and the night seemed to breathe around them. They soon approached the outskirts of the gardens and the edge of the old ruins. They slowed their pace, perhaps out of apprehension, perhaps out of respect. Looking upon those tumbled and overgrown stones, they saw nothing of the fey folk. No trace of magic greeted them. Gingerly, they entered that twilight sanctuary, now free to explore its nightside. The expectation of a strange meeting still suffused their awareness, but they were equally curious to luxuriate in this familiar and loved place under those strange and silvery rays of moonlight. Those chiseled and ancient stones appeared more vivid in this unfamiliar light, 
their story more tangible, their history immediate and living. Alyssa went to the collapsed column where she had left her drawing. No longer was it folded. It now lay open, scratchy linework visible in the dim light. The paper still held fast under the stone. She touched the parchment, wondering about those unknown hands which had unfolded it. Jort had come to look, eyes wide, at the sight of the unfurled drawing. In unison, their awareness drifted away from the page and up into their surroundings, seeking any visitor who might be near. It was then that Alyssa began to sing. She sang Tom's ancient song, very quietly at first, bashful at the sound of her own voice. She couldn't remember all of the words, so some parts of the song were hummed, but the melody was there, recreated and complete, and understood without knowing. She felt Jort's small, sure hand reach for hers, and then he began to hum the melody as well. Loana. A wind coursed through the treetops, a thousand whispers answering their song, and the night seemed to exhale in celebration of an arrival. At the edge of the ruins there glimmered a soft glow, like candlelight shining through green sea glass. Alyssa's breath caught in her throat as she beheld a radiant form which was moving towards them. She swallowed hard and continued her song. Jort's hand felt nervous and sweaty in hers. The dancing light divided, and as it grew near, they could discern the familiar forms of the fey folk whose strange acquaintance they had made several evenings previous. Alyssa marveled at the beauty of the one who flew on such ephemeral wings. So refined was her countenance, that to look upon it was to be plunged into an icy stream of snowmelt water, which comes down from those high mountains in spring. As the pixie drew closer, those strange, luminous eyes met and held Alyssa's in a pregnant gaze, which made tears bead on her lashes. The earthbound fellow had joined the strange meeting, carried far by his long strides. His gentle, ethereal eyes regarded the children with equal curiosity. The two fey folk paused for a moment there, as if gathering themselves, like musicians might, before the start of a song. Then, in time to Jort and Alyssa's melody, the lustrous beings began to unfold in a dance. Extending their arms, they once more traced lines of fluid light into the air, a delicate calligraphy unfolding before them. The two seemed pleased to have an audience and music to accompany their movement. They flourished and swirled with grace and intensity, their neon tracery doubling by the minute. Jort began to stomp a small foot in rhythm to their song, and Alyssa clapped her hands, accentuating the beat. Soon they could distinguish a recognizable form taking shape. The two beings were drawing a resplendent archway from their lines of frozen light. Spiraling shapes and floral forms wound their way round the incandescent portal, and the one who flew on those gossamer wings ascended so she might add finishing touches to the top of the structure. Then their dance was complete, and the one who flew came to alight on one side of the arch, mirroring her kin who stood opposite her. Their wild-born eyes fell closed, their hands fell open. The air between them quaked and rippled, and all at once the night seemed to fall away within that mystical arc. Jort and Alyssa had stopped their song and looked on in amazement as another world began to take shape within the doorway. It was dark and gauzy at first, but with every moment it became increasingly substantial. Sounds began to tumble through into their world, a melodious twinkling sound, the musical call of an unknown bird. A warm wind, not of their world, spilled into those ancient ruins, carrying on it the smell of some sweet, distant blossom. So unfamiliar were these traces, it felt to the children as though they were bearing witness to a brilliant new color, one which their eyes had never before fathomed. And there, at last, the world within the gate incarnated with magnificent totality. Profuse gardens, abundant with blooms of azure and burning fuchsia, were crisscrossed by winding stone pathways. Wooded hills rolled along either side, creating a moonlit channel of the twilight valley. Silvery, smooth-barked trees, 
the tallest Jort and Alyssa had ever seen, stood like guardians in the vale, their branches stretched to support a vast canopy of jade-green leaves. A movement caught Alyssa's eye, and she looked skyward to see a flock of luminescent amethyst butterflies tracing a line through the night air. At the end of the valley there stood a castle hewn from lustrous stone the color of starlit lavender. It was immense, with a large central citadel flanked by smaller towers on either side, and was built into the base of a small forested mountain which it abutted. Cascades of blooming flowers, creeping vines, and spindly trees seemed to sprout from the architecture, so that the castle appeared half forest itself. In the windows and archways of the dreamlike fortress there glowed lights which beckoned to the children, burning with the pinks and oranges of a perfect sunset. Far in the distance they could see the forms of other beings, too, moving like fireflies in a night garden. Their eyes had opened, and now the two pixies regarded the children with a kind look of farewell. No words were uttered, but it was clear their meeting was concluding. Turning, they both made for the world within the gateway, their home. Jort, utterly spellbound, stepped forward to follow. His eyes were wide with the beauty of their world, and in his blood he longed to feel the grass of that strange place on his bare feet. The earthbound pixie turned, sensing Jort's movement, and gently held up a hand as if to stop him. Jort's gaze met his, and there was an understanding and the fellow smiled sadly, as though he would have liked Jort to accompany them. Instead, he extended his other hand to Jort, which he opened, revealing a smooth, plum-colored seed. Jord took the seed graciously and nodded to the pixie, who turned to go. Jort returned to Alyssa's side, and the two held hands and watched their friends make their way through those fields of flowers towards their castle home. The Baroque filigree of the archway began to fade, and the image within grew patchy, and soon any trace of that other world had all but faded, save for the scent of flowers, which still perfumed the night air. Jord approached the place where the magical gate had stood and dropped to his knee. From his back pocket he produced his little brass spade and began to dig in the earth. Alyssa watched with curiosity as he formed a small hollow in the ground. Into this he placed the mysterious seed he had been given. Jort looked at it laying there in the dirt. It seemed to glow faintly with the essence of that other land. Then he heaped the earth he had dug back on top of it and gently packed down the dirt with his hands. Alyssa put her hand on Jort's shoulder as he stood up from his small task. Let's go to bed, Jort. He nodded and the two walked back to the fort, sharing silence between them. They slept deeply that night, and if they dreamed, no traces remained in the morning when they awoke. Reflecting on the events of the night previous, it seemed that that, too, was but a distant dream. Were it not for the dirt left on the soles of their feet, it would have been easy to dismiss their experience as a fantastic vision. "'It was real, right, Ellie?' asked Jort, examining his hands, still dirty from digging. "'It was as real as your eye.' she replied, without a hint of doubt. The children got out of bed and went about washing up before breakfast. They did so in silence, and a somberness infused their being. They had stood at the precipice of a mysterious and beautiful land, and now knew it was quite possible they would never see it again. Jort seemed particularly haunted, and Alyssa recalled the longing she had seen in his eyes as he gazed at that marvelous wild castle. Let's go see what's for breakfast, said Alyssa, hoping to bring Jort's thoughts away from the lost castle. I'm sure Sarabeth made something yummy. Jort nodded, and they made their way to the kitchen, only to find it empty of its normal morning bustle. A quick look around the fort showed no sign of Sarabeth or Tom, so the children decided they must be outside. Stepping outside from the front door, Alyssa called out in a high, wavering voice, Sarabeth? Tom? Tom must have heard, for he called back in an excited voice. We're in the garden, children. Come look, 
Something amazing has happened. Jort and Alyssa fell into a sprint and raced round to the side of the fort where the garden started. There Tom and Sarabeth stood, staring upwards in the direction of the ruins. It took Alyssa a moment to realize what it was she was seeing. There in the distance a resplendent tree stood, towering over the grounds. Its bark was silvery and its leaves the color of dusky jade. Jort gasped with elation, and he and Alyssa leapt with joy at the sight of the otherworldly tree. It stood so tall it could no doubt be seen for hundreds of miles around. Tom stood next to Sarabeth, his arm wrapped tight around her waist. Sarabeth's eyes streamed with joyful tears, and she honked her nose on a handkerchief. Tom shook his head in disbelief, still not looking away from the tree. Luana's old magic come to life, blooming in the span of a night. Alyssa and Jort looked at each other, their smiles beaming like the very sun, and then turned to regard the magnificent tree once more. We're nearing Fort Lowen, my lady. Durkee gently roused Alyssa, who had fallen into a light slumber in the carriage. He knew Lowen held a special place in Alyssa's heart, though for what reason he could not say. Alyssa awoke with excitement, rubbing the sleep from her eyes, and quickly turned around so she could look from the coach's window out across the landscape. There in the distance towered she and Jort's tree, gracing the land with its vast and miraculous presence. She smiled that same smile she had smiled so many years ago when she was but a child, and wondered if she might take a midnight stroll through those beloved gardens once they had arrived at Fort Lowen. If you like what you just heard, be sure to visit www.thegreen.country for more great content, including beautiful illustrations, detailed character descriptions, and much more. The Green Country is also on Patreon, where a small monthly pledge will give you access to extra content, like an illustrated PDF of the story you just heard. Whether you back this project financially or simply share it with a friend, you can help this vibrant land continue to grow. Once more, that's www.thegreen.country. Thanks for listening!